Each single one of us has some role to play. The Sustainable Hour. For a green, clean, sustainable Geelong. The Sustainable Hour. Welcome to the Sustainable Hour. We'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from the land of the Wathaurong people. We pay tribute to their elders, past, present, and those that earn that great honour in the future. We acknowledge that we're on stolen land, land that was never ceded. We cannot hope to have any form of climate justice without justice for First Nations people. And finally, there is such a wealth of ancient wisdom which they honed from nurturing our land and their communities for millennia before that land was stolen. And there are so many answers for us, so many guidelines for us in navigating the climate crisis in that wisdom. So we're passing this 1.5 degree mark now of global heating. And I hear people around me saying, hmm, yeah, okay, and so what? What's the big fuss about 1.5 degrees? One day it's 20 degrees out there, and then, okay, it goes up to 21 and a half degrees, and so what? You barely feel the difference. And I'm thinking maybe humanity, you know, the scientists, the politicians, every one of us made a big mistake when some 10, 15 years ago, when it was decided that when we talk about climate change, we talk about this 1.5 degree threshold that we don't want to pass and so on. Maybe that was a huge mistake because people really don't get this thing about the 1.5 degree. They don't get that this actually is what means all these destructive storms that we see out there and the flooding and the, the heat waves and the, like I, I was watching Landline this week on ABC, farms and roads being destroyed and what that means, you know, for the cost of, of the vegetables we buy in, in the supermarket and so on. Cyclone Jasper decimated fruit and vegetable crops in far north Queensland. Farmers are trying to rebuild, but it's not just lost produce which is costing them. Soil-borne diseases in floodwaters are creating bio-nightmares and damaged roads are pushing transport costs up. People don't get that that's what the 1.5 degrees mean. Maybe instead we should have been talking from the start about measuring it in, for instance, in sea level rise, like saying we don't want to exceed half a metre of sea level rise. Or what about if we had gone a bit further and talked about money? Because we now have a price tag on climate change. It's been estimated that all the climate events last year, in 2023, added a cost for governments and for businesses and people like us of $462 billion. That's according to an insurance company that sat down and did the, the mess. And maybe that's what we should be talking about. You know, like what if we had the Paris Agreement had said, we don't want to exceed $500 billion of costs on climate catastrophes a year. Then at least people would be thinking, oh, is that what they're talking about? When we're burning coal, oil and gas, there's an expense to that. And it can be measured now in billions of dollars. And most absurdly of all, we, we now see 
oil and gas companies are coming in with their reports. So they made profits last year, just the five biggest corporations, ExxonMobil, Shell, Chevron, BP, and Conoco, made $178 billion in profit last year, while the rest of us had expenses of $462 billion because of extreme weather events. Anyway, over to you, Colin Market. We need to know what's been happening around the world and uh, you have the global outlook for us. I certainly do. Hello, Mick, and hello, everybody. Uh, and I've got an item that really um, dovetails in with what you've just been talking about, but it's not my first top of the list. Top of the list this week begins in New York, where it was announced that nine U.S. states have formed a coalition to dramatically increase their statewide sales of heat pumps while phasing out fossil fuel furnaces. And out of this came a somewhat unusual piece of history that was really intriguing for a history buff like me. That is, today, 80% of New York's residential buildings are heated by a 100-year-old steam system, which dates back to the aftermath of the Great War when authorities believed that keeping warm was a way to avoid the Spanish flu. As a consequence, most New York buildings are way overheated using that uh, the system that New York creates its electricity. Um, it burns coal, drives a steam turbine, then keeps the steam and shifts it all around the centre of New York to heat the buildings. As a consequence, most New York buildings are way overheated in the winter. And that uh, it resulted in most of the New York residents leaving their windows open during winter or find other ways to cool down. Now, they don't have to worry about people breaking in because they're in rather large compartments, but they've got too much heat coming in free from the city. Anyway, it's a serious problem considering the city has pledged to reducing its greenhouse gas emissions by 80% compared to 2005 levels by mid-century. With so many New Yorkers blatantly wasting heat all winter long, it's perhaps no surprise that buildings make up a staggering 70% of the city's total carbon emissions each year. It's also the reason why New York State joined with that nine-state coalition that's pledging to dramatically ramp up installations of electric heat pumps, which are far more energy efficient than conventional heating and cooling systems, and widely seen as the key solution to curbing climate change. So last Wednesday, a memorandum of understanding was signed by California, Colorado, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Oregon, Rhode Island and New York to set goals to essentially phase out selling of new fossil fuel boilers and furnaces over the coming decade. The agreement aims to have 65% of new sales of heating and cooling systems in those states consist of heat pumps by 2030, reaching 90% by 2040. Now I've got some news from Stockholm in Sweden and Somerset Council in the UK. They're strikingly similar items. Both have voted to ban fossil fuel advertising, with the Somerset Council, which has a population bigger than Canberra, 
taking it a step further by banning the advertising of petrol, diesel and hybrid vehicles, plus airlines, airports and flights. They're not actually banning flights, just the advertising of them. Now to a new survey from the University of Queensland, which found that three to five billion people, that's two thirds of the world's population, are set to be affected by projected rainfall changes during this century, unless the world rapidly ramps up emissions reduction targets. The analysis showed many countries that are facing drier conditions in the future. The top five were Greece, Spain, Palestine, Portugal and Morocco, where at least 85% of models projected significantly reduced annual rainfall by the end of this century, under a worst case scenario of very high emissions. In contrast, for Finland, North Korea, Russia, Canada and Norway, more than 90% of models agreed on a trend towards increasing annual rainfall. And the picture was similar for most parts of the two most populous nations in China and India, which are together home for more than 2.7 billion people. In those nations, 70% of models agreed on projections for increasing rainfall. Now, this report coincided with another from the British charity Oxfam, and this is the bit that fits in with your little rant this week. It showed that the net worth of the world's five richest individuals, all of them are men, that has more than doubled from $4.5 billion to $869 billion since 2020. That's billions of US dollars, by the way, and I haven't bothered with translating it. It's just large, large amounts of money. And that's a growth rate equivalent to about $14 million per hour. Now, Oxfam, with its um, announcement, asked the world to imagine that if they just used half of that extra money to reduce world hunger or address climate change, it would solve both. Now, I would go even further than that. I would say that $14 million an hour, which is their rate that their, their wealth is increasing without them doing anything, just from what they've got already. $14 million an hour, if properly directed, could end the current wars that are threatening our planet, as well as going a long way to fix climate change and world hunger. Now, according to Forbes magazine's billionaire list from which Oxfam derived its calculations, those five billionaires are Elon Musk. He's currently the world's uh, wealthiest person, followed by Bernard Armolt, Jeff Bezos, Larry Ellison and Mark Zuckerberg. Now, perhaps we environmentalists are barking up the wrong tree in protesting against fossil fuel companies we probably get better results if we were to bring those five men together in the same room and then introduce them to Greta Thunberg, the David Suzuki in Attenborough, Al Gore and Saul Griffith and explain to them how they could become the planet's saviours. That's better than giving them medals or anything, isn't it? Just get them to use their money for good. And that harebrained idea ends my roundup for the week. Listen to our sustainable hour for the future. Our first guest today 
is Louise Denver. Whilst she hasn't been on before, Louise was in the background uh, late last year when we had Chris Wilson, who's the executive director and co-founder of Subac Australia on. Louise is on today. Um, now she's a comms advisor, coach and connector for the same organisation for Subac Australia. So Louise, thanks for coming on. What's your connection with Subac Australia? Um, what influenced you to get involved in it? Thanks, Tony. Um, yeah. Look, bamboozled by numbers, guys. You know, let's why don't we send off Musk off in his rocket ship to space and Bezos can follow quick. Afterwards, I'm sure they've met Attenborough and Gretchen Tugberg. They've all been to Davos and been harangued by them um, and, and, and so on. And, you know, they're still kind of doing their thing um, in social media and talking about AI perhaps not being for the good um, of, of humanity, etc., and and how to regulate it. My reflections, and Tony, I'll get to answer your question in a moment, is just purely that, um, you know, all those billions, and you're absolutely right, Mick, in terms of the numbers that you shared. What I'd like to say, and just in, in answer to all of that, is a terrific piece that the Climate Council, Tim Flannery, wrote in the conversation, which, or it's actually, you can find it on the website. The title is, It's Not Game Over, It's Game On. And that's where I come from. It's not game over, kids. It's game on, and we're all in it. A really intelligent president of the United States said a long time ago, we should not only use all the brains we have, but all that we can borrow. And that's the heart of SUBAC. And that's what attracted me to SUBAC. It's about coming together. It's about the fact that we actually are doing something and can do something. Just, you know, let's talk a number for a minute. Tim Flannery has shared the fact that actually, believe it or not, last year, the world added 510 billion watts of renewable energy capacity. That's 50% more than it did the year before in 2022. And it is the entire power capacity of Germany, France, and Spain combined. What you shared earlier, Colin, in your opening statement about New York, I lived and worked in New York. I was a documentary filmmaker. I've lived a long time and had many lives. I've been a fortunate woman. Um, I was editing documentary film in New York City in one of those overheated lofts. We opened the windows, and I saw the biggest cockroaches I've ever seen in my life at that time um, in that loft in, in, in downtown New York City. And the reality is that those nine collectives that are going to get together are making the difference. And that's the point that Flannery's making. And that's the point that Subak's making. By joining together, we can actually make that difference. We have the opportunity. Yes, we won't keep to 1.5. Paris is done and dusted, sadly. But we've got to keep under two. Understanding what that means is not going to be, I don't believe, communicated through centigrade numbers, nor actually is it going to be communicated in, what was it these guys were earning a day, um, 14 million an hour, I should say. You know, I mean, it's not going to be communicated in that either because they're phenomenal. It is going to be communicated in feeling. Right now, I'm in Sydney. It's 32 degrees already. It's the 14th of February 
Valentine's Day when it's going to be 35 degrees. I think you guys, many of you are in Melbourne or thereabouts in Victoria. You're all getting a little warm this morning too. And that's what's happening to our world. We're feeling it. And we are doing something different. Subak is all about bringing together not-for-profit companies who are determined to make a difference. The cohort we had last year that we provide a whole series of workshops for to help them avoid mistakes and get to what they can do well quickly because it's all about fast speed is actually um, sharing their knowledge. We are sharing our knowledge. I've stood on the shoulders of giants. I've been a fortunate woman. I've been a journalist in the Middle East. I grew up in Java. I was born in Australia. I've edited film in New York City, um, and I've been lucky enough to do many things. And I've been in a situation where I've been um, able to live and work and experience across the world what's going on. Now, as a grandmother, I am absolutely determined that we're going to save a planet for the two, the twin babies that my youngest son's going to have in one and a half weeks' time. You know, I'm determined that we are going to do what um, Woodrow Wilson said, not only use all the brains we have, but all that we can borrow. And, you know, those sorts of um, organizations like UQ that are doing research, what wonderful research they're doing, some of the work that those guys are doing there. Professor James up there, who looks after biodiversity, his whole shtick, if you will, is that let's not just talk about climate change, let's talk about the biosphere, because if we don't have a biosphere, we don't have a planet. Um, in Subak, the point of difference that we are in Subak, Australia, and it's a Javanese word, and I'll explain that to you in a minute, is that we're, they're not-for-profit companies. And that's where it differs from our five incredibly wealthy men of um, Zuckerberg and, and, and Bezos and, and, and Musk. They have no confidentiality issues. They share openly. It enables them to gather together data because it's a data-rich organization and share that data openly to give evidence to policymakers. One of our um, um, uh, organizations that we looked after last year was called Sketi. Sketi stands for um, the 23 states, 22 states in India who have got a commitment to transfer from coal as soon as they can to renewables. But what they didn't have is a database that showed them all the renewables, uh, what, what they were spending now. They didn't have the database that showed them the operational numbers, the financial numbers they were spending, the need that was required and what they could do about it. And they, Sketi, we've been able to help Sketi pull of those numbers together so that they can help those decision makers make decisions about where they place their bets, if you will, where they place their money, where they place their effort in the most effective places. That's some of the value of what we do um, at SUBAC. And um, Surface for Climate um, has had the, was another member of ours, had this huge win. New South Wales is now no longer going to do any offshore oil and gas drilling. You know, that's a huge win. Parents for Climate has taken Energy Australia to court for greenwashing, telling people and their customers that they are going to be able to, we've been able to fund that. We've been able to support them. We also look for support, not 
administratively because we're um you know we, we we're a lean machine we've got roxy um chris and i and um you know and 22 brilliant mentors that give their time for free and we help people do their due diligence manage their you know once they get up and running as a business there's so much that is difficult that folks who have a great idea don't really know what they need to do to actually move forward, to get the DGR um, capability, to get um, donations and tax relief for donations, to get pictures perfect so that they can get funding, etc., etc. So that's what SUBAC does. It's a, a Javanese word for sharing water resources. Um, it, it came it was in the fifth century. You would take water from, um, you know, to grow your rice. Um, all the rice growers and the farmers would take their water from the rivers and they'd share it through the rice paddies and then they'd return it to the river. So that was how they, as a cooperative, and the whole concept of SUBAC and the concept of what we're doing and what I'm doing is cooperation. It's collaboration, cooperation, connecting, and let's do our absolute utmost to save this planet of ours, guys. This is so much what Australia needs. And I can tell you there's one big elephant in the business room, as far as I'm concerned, and that is this feeling of entitlement. We quoted last year a, a Griffith professor who's done a study of a thousand CEOs around the entire planet who found that Australian CEOs are standing out from the pack as if they were stuck in a 1980s greed is good paradigm. That's what he said. It's just Australia that sticks out. And Australia sticks out in a way that says it's not on the same page as the rest of the world. It's not focused on sustainability, ESG, diversity, equity. We interpret it as too many Australian CEOs are locked in a, a mindset that has gone, that has passed. Um, we, in our circles, we talk about it being like a 1980s kind of greed is good mindset and we think too many australian ceos are locked in that and as an example you know what people don't and what the media is not talking about is that for instance last year energy wholesale prices in this country actually fell with 64 percent because of renewables nobody's talking about that that's amazing energy wholesale prices fell with 64 percent but here's the thing the power bills you know, what we, the consumers are paying, went up with 7%. So, hey, what's going on here? There's something about the culture that is, you know, apparently very different from where the rest of the world is moving. I, Mick, and, and, and it, it, it's sad that um, the concept of greed is good and the lucky country have all got muddled up into what it really is supposed to mean. It's an interesting fact. I, um, w you know, after doing all that, um, sort of like, I suppose I would regard myself as a revolutionary in terms of the way I was wanting to change the world and always have been. I'm a political woman and never, um, um, require, you know, uh, call back from that. And even though the last 18 years I worked for one of the big professional services companies, I worked in the sustainable practice, in the innovation practice. And I found the guys that were really good in that big corporate world. Yes, you know, the CEOs were absolutely triggered for one thing only, and that was make profit. There was no question about that. There is still no question about that, Mick. My experience has been uh, changing over the last couple of weeks. 
um, I've found Mick and Louise, I've found that there is a change in Australia's policy. I find that I'm fielding more questions from people who want to put solar on their roofs. And people are now wanting to talk about where their power is coming from, whether they should put a battery as well as their solar that they've already got. And I, I firmly believe that there is a momentum, a sustainable momentum. It, it can't be turned back. There, there are far more electric cars on the road. I notice them because I own one, and I certainly used to maybe see uh, maybe see one or two every, every, every time I took a trip, maybe a couple of years ago. Now it's not unusual to see three or four lined up at the traffic lights together. And once people have got that way of thinking, they own a mobile car, they've got the panels on the roof, they've, they're working with the environment, they rarely go back again. And, so and that momentum is going to keep going. 100%. And we've got to ride that momentum. I believe that entirely. Um, you know, that, that wave is so important for us, Trivius. Yes, I've got 18 panels on my roof and I've just upgraded my battery to support it as well. Um, and I've been able to drive a hybrid car for long enough. But you're absolutely right. Sales of electric vehicles doubled last year and expected to continue to grow strongly. There's a, an organization that we're um, looking to support um, in Victoria called EV. Um, electric vehicle. It's a not-for-profit electric vehicle company. It's a. It's almost like a car share um, outfit. It's really, really an interesting um, business models. There are some really interesting business models that are cropping up. That um, we're beginning to just take it by the horns and know that we can do something. Working together collectively, we will. The reality is, we can absolutely feel devastated by those awful numbers you shared Mick you know earlier but what we really need to know and remember is that by working together I think it was Margaret Mead that said don't think that you know just one person can't make a difference indeed it's the only thing that ever has is the people on the outside making and beavering away making a difference 100% um, are, are for that a new report reveals how big companies are ripping off Australian consumers. Australians have driven big cars since the 1960s, so there is a complete change in the Australian psyche. And once again, this only succeeds if consumers are willing to make that change. In a blistering 80-page report into price gouging, Professor Alan Fells took aim at some of Australia's biggest companies, including banks, supermarkets and airlines. He's called on the government to step in, saying Australians are paying too much too often. The difference between this world going green, stopping the use of fossil fuels, stopping destroying your future, is the character of about a thousand people. Gutless characters who get around in pinstripe suits and try and say that they're looking after the world's interests when in fact they're lacking character and courage to change. This is cold. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. At the heart of this conflict is a battle between truth and science and power and lies. I'm a fourth generation farmer. 
In the depths of the millennium drought, we were approached by a wind farm company. I didn't know anything about renewable energy. I've gone from a struggling bankrupt farmer without hope to having a profitable farm with income locked in for the future. Renewable energy saved my family farm. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Our next guest is Tim Hollow. Tim's the Executive Director of the Green Institute. And last year he wrote a book called Living Democracy and its latest iteration is as an audio book. So, Tim, welcome to the Sustainable Hour. Pleasure to be here, Tony. Um, and thanks. I've been on. I've been on your lovely show um, a few times before, talking about um, my ideas. And um, yeah, a bunch of people have said to me since the book came out um, that they're um, finding in in their lives today they're reading less, but they're listening to a lot of books. And could I record it for them to listen to? So yeah, I finally did that um, and released the audio book late last year. So if you Google. Tim Hollow, Living Democracy, you you can listen to me reading it to you. Um, and I guess, yeah, the I, I just wanted to kind of think about what that means in terms of people's lives, not having enough time to read anymore and how that kind of idea fits in with some of the things that we've been talking about already um, so far this hour in terms of some of the big challenges that we face um, whether it is rising temperatures or the greed is good mentality or any of these things. Um, and I, um, yeah, I'm certainly of the view that it is, it's at that really deep values based level where we need to start thinking about the change making that we need to do in the face of, yeah, as Mick put it at the beginning of the program, the, the swiftly rising temperatures that we're facing and all of the impacts that that will bring in terms of food availability and cost in terms of where we can live in terms of the impacts on roads everything um we are already plunging into what's been called the age of consequences um you know we are we are finding ourselves as I put it in the subtitle of my book, at the end of the world as we know it. This isn't the end of the world. It does not have to be the end of the world, but it does have to be the end of the world as we know it. Um, and what that means is we need to think about ourselves differently. We need to think about the way we govern ourselves differently. We need to think about the way we do the economy differently. We need to think about the way we relate to each other differently. Um, relate to each other as humans, but also relate to the natural world that we are one small part of. For me, a lot of that does come back to what Louise was talking about with this beautiful idea of subak, and I haven't come across that word. But one of the big ideas that I write about at length in my book is, is the concept of the commons, um, that throughout human history, most people in some ways have been involved in cooperative management of their common shared resources, whether it be land, whether it be farming resources, whether it be food, whether it be energy. We've done that as humans all through our history. What's happened is that slowly but surely over a couple of thousand years and accelerating dramatically since the Industrial Revolution and again accelerating dramatically since the Second World War, this idea of greed is good, but really 
what I refer to as, as, and many others refer to as this idea of extractivism has come to dominate. This idea that humans are separate somehow from the natural world, that we can practically and have the right to dominate the natural world and dominate each other and extract value. And this is where I come, yeah, to, to, you know, my, my perspective on Colin, your idea at the beginning of those, of those five, um, ultra billionaires and getting them in a room together and trying to convince them. We cannot convince them. We will not. They are the prime extractivists. They fundamentally believe that it is their right to take anything to make a profit from that and to use it. And even if in some cases like Elon Musk, a small part of his business has been somewhat environmentally friendly with electric vehicles, it is deeply, deeply extractivist and deeply destructive. It's really important that as a society and a culture, we come together and, and do our economy differently. That we say, it's not about asking billionaires to share their money. Every single billionaire is a policy failure. It is not right that anyone should ever accumulate that amount of money. The only way to accumulate that amount of money is by extracting it from the natural world, which needs it, and extracting it from people who need it. Billionaires only exist because poverty exists. Billionaires only exist because pollution exists. They are fundamentally intertwined, and we have to build an economic system that says, no, billionaires should not exist. That means much higher taxes on wealth. It means changing the way we govern corporations. And, yeah, we talked about, you talked about briefly some of these ideas around um, CEOs fundamentally believing that greed is good. And, yes, of course they do because that's the world they live in. Corporate governance, not just here in Australia but around the world, corporations have one responsibility, one legal responsibility, and that is to increase profits to shareholders. They're supposed to abide by the law in doing so, but if they can get away with not abiding by the law to increase profits, that's kind of accepted. And more to the point, it's expected of them that they work their guts out to change the law to make it easier for them to make more profits, extract more profits from the natural world and from people around them. We need to change the way corporations are governed. We need to change those laws so that business is about cooperation and sharing. We need to change the way we make laws so that our government and democracy is about cooperation and coming together to learn how we can do things better together instead of always fighting in this adversarial way. Those are the kinds of ideas that I kind of talk about in my book and um, and in the audio book. Do you also, Tim, talk about how do we do that then? Because it's easy to say, let's change the law, but it's not as easy to actually make it happen. We've, we've talked here in the Sustainable Hour for more than a year now about the code for corporate citizenship, which is a corporate lawyer who has this idea that we just need to add a few words into one line in the corporate law. I think it was uh, section 181, something like that, about that, uh, yes, it's your obligation as a director to look after the shareholders, as you said, Tim, but not at the expense of severe damage to the environment. So by adding these few extra words, not at the expense of severe damage to the environment. He says we could change the world. 
if this was done in countries around the world. But the problem has been in the last year, as we have seen, where's the support for that? And how do we actually make it happen? Yeah, so the whole part three of my book is looking at how change happens and the kind of scale of change that we need to make. Um, I've been in and around politics and NGOs and everything for, for a quarter of a century and kind of thinking about different ways that we can make change happen. And I don't want to kind of dismiss that we can work hard to campaign for changes in legislation. That is important and we can make big differences on that level. But some of these major structural changes, we're going to have to change the way we do democracy and do politics in order to get them. Because we're told, we've been brought up deeply embedded in this idea that we have an effective democracy where the voice of the people actually matters and can change things. That's not actually how it works. And I think more and more people are kind of waking up to that fact that the political systems that we have are most fundamentally about power. They're not actually about the voice of the people. They're about who's got the most power to get their voices heard. Um, we need to shift that. In terms of how do we make these changes, my belief is that it has to start from the bottom up with the kind of thing that Louise is doing with, you know, supporting the work um, of various organisations. Um, it has to start with with people and communities doing it themselves and living the new world that we want into being from the grassroots up. So there are a whole lot of people and communities starting workers' cooperatives, starting users' cooperatives, um, shifting their businesses onto B Corp kind of structures. There are a whole lot of communities starting citizens' assemblies and starting community organisations in their local communities to do these kinds of things, make decisions together differently. I fundamentally believe that we need to be doing that at every level. Importantly, that will only work if we're also starting to withdraw our consent from the other ways, from the destructive ways at the same time. So one of the things I think about a lot, for instance, is um, we talked earlier in the program about the dramatic rise in renewable energy around the world. This is incredible. It's so inspiring. When I started working on climate change 25 years ago, we could not have imagined that we'd be here. The problem is, with all of this increase in renewables, we're not seeing a concomitant decrease in fossil fuels. And we won't be solving the climate crisis until we start turning off the fossil fuels. We're not dealing with climate change if we're just increasing consumption by adding more renewables. We need to decrease the renewables. So as I say, when we're starting um, sharing groups and repairing groups and doing all sorts of things in our community that are that are building a different way of doing the economy. We also need to be withdrawing our support and our consent from the old way. So sharing food in a way that actually withdraws consent from the supermarket food system, um, repairing goods in a way that actually that you know blockades. Um, Harvey Norman and businesses that are that are making huge profits out of consumption. We need to be doing both at the same time. Look, I'm in full agreement right the way through there, Tim, but I'd like to take you back again to your statement that um, power is the, the uh, drive that runs democracy. Uh, I'd like to add to that that money is the, is the drive that mm -hmm. runs power. 
And money is really the key to the to the whole thing when you look at it. I recall we had a guest, I can't remember exactly who it was, but we had a guest on this program a couple of years ago, and he had a radical suggestion, it was a bloke, and he said that once somebody, a businessman, reached a billion dollars in their bank account, they should be given a medal and then a 100% tax on everything that they earn from then onwards, and the medal should say, you're a hero of humanity. Uh, and we're going to use that money in order to save the planet. I mean, we've got five people that we can start with. But the other bit that I wanted to add on was talking about Elon Musk. He thinks differently to everybody else. And he actually thinks just that the solution to the uh, um, degeneration of Earth, the planet, is to fly off to Mars and colonize Mars, which is quite crazy but people are still running his argument. I, I absolutely agree with that. And um, it's something that I talk about in the book, the idea of, um, so, you know, we have a progressive tax system in Australia, a somewhat progressive tax system. The more money the, that you earn, um, the more you should pay tax. It was based on brackets because back in the day, um, we didn't have the sophisticated kind of computational capacity that we, we do now. One of the best ideas that I've seen around on that front is to say that we should have a pure algorithmic sliding scale of tax that just kind of goes from zero when you don't earn very much through to 100. And we should have a conversation about where we put that 100. Um, and after a certain point, there's no point having more money and it shouldn't be acceptable um, and it should be all paid in tax. The bit that I dispute is that you should earn a medal and be called a hero of humanity for earning a billion dollars. As I was saying before, the only way you can get to a billion dollars is by creating misery. Mm. It is genuinely the case. The only way that you could possibly have accumulated that much money is by creating misery around you, creating poverty, creating pollution, um, extracting value from other people and from the earth. So I don't think those people are, are heroes. We celebrate them as heroes in our culture, and that's part of the problem. We should actually be condemning them as people who are creating vast misery. Oh, um, but, yes, I fundamentally agree with you. <laughs> if my memory serves me right, the, the idea of giving them the title was to actually bolster their egos and esteem because they were giving them all of the money that they were earning into improving the planet. And that was the uh, recognition of the medal. But, yeah, I'm with you there too. Yeah. I, I, I get the point. The, the problem, of course, is, and this comes to these questions of values, um, that it also then conveys to everybody else that those people are heroes and that there's value in that. And what we need to do actually is build an awareness, which I think exists, because when you talk to most people, most people around the place don't think that great wealth is a signifier of any kind of moral um, uprightness. Most people think it's actually quite the opposite. Um, but we still celebrate it as such. And I think it's that kind of level of the culture that we need to change. And, yes, I agree with you that money and political power are completely, completely intertwined, and that's one of the things that we do need to really disentangle on and, and work work on um, it's not that, I guess I'd, I'd clarify quickly, I, I also think it's important to disentangle the words politics and democracy 
Um, the way our politics works is purely about power and the way our politics works is not actually democratic. Democracy needs to be understood as people power, um, where the people have their voices heard, and that's not the system that we have currently. Now, as a um, Forster said, two cheers for democracy, but it's a better system than than um, uh, many others. As no doubt you you must have quoted at some point, Tim, in your in your book and your audio book. You know, yeah, it's a couple of things. Number one, you we know that you can't get to be president of America unless you start with more than a million dollars. And the experience in, in Australia with the green movement is that you can't get people into parliament without spending a lot of money and having wealthy donors. It's just a matter of course. So that's how money and, and politics and democracy are entwined, if you like. The fact that we call it democracy, it is better than all the other systems, even though it's as flawed as it is. The thing that really is causing all of the problems for us in Australia is the lobbyist system in federal parliament, which is stopping them from taking any uh, significant steps towards um, decarbonizing our communities because the fossil fuel lobbyists are so powerful in Canberra. I do agree that's a crucial part of the picture, um, but it's not... For me, the whole thing, it's also the culture of the way we do democracy, um, the way we do politics, which is not very democratic. Uh, Louise, please, you were going to say something there too. I was just going to say that commerce is, you know, you know, sort of financial money has greased the wheels of commerce. And what we really discovered in COVID times was, you know, trade, which is what commerce um, ended up being based on. Um, you know, we realised that we actually had to pull together and that's, you know, to get back to the very beginning, um, Colin, when you were you were talking about our First Nations people, um, you know, the, you know, the whole difference difference way of thinking. And Tim, I'm really looking forward to um, hearing your Living Democracy um, audiobook, and um, it sounds marvelous. And but you know, what we can learn and what we are learning from our First Nations people is, and from First Nations people across the world, is that we don't own this land. You know, we are nature, just like um, the land on which we, we live. And one of the um, work, one of the pieces of work we do is the membership of SUBAC, because they remain members, even though we might help these companies, um, you know, get better and more effective and grow and be more influential, which is really the point of it, is that they remain sharing, they remain growing, they remain sharing, they remain doing. And one of the things that we do is regenerative farming and the whole holistic management mm -hmm. of, of, of that. And one of the chaps that we, um, I have had the privilege to work with is a man called Brian Welberg, who you know um, spoke about the fact that I am nature. Whatever I do to nature, I do to myself. If I harm nature, I poison nature, I poison myself. If I make nature unstable, I become um, unstable. I ultimately destroy myself, my family and my community. You know, um, you know the, the, the truth of this whole thing is that for every 10 cells that I lug around every day are me, only one is human. All the rest are bacteria, fungus and virus, without which we become ill and die. We are nature. 
and that's really to the point of of this feeling this momentum column that you were anti you were seeing you know let's not be downcast guys let's absolutely move forward we recognize you know greed and we know it's not good and and we recognize that you know my grandkids in switzerland right now you know they go um you know we're absolutely inspired by greta and you know um, very much because the glaciers are, are are melting you know they're they're very much protesting climate and looking at ways to do things themselves so the make um you know communities that are popping up all over the place the commons tim um, you know, even in apartment buildings in Perth or in Fremantle, you're actually deciding to club together as um, apartment owners to be able to share the electricity and put the solar panels on the roof and actually share it between you um, as an apartment block building as opposed to being separate entities or guzzling um, power individually. One of our members open corridor, brilliant. Um, fellow Josh Hopkins over in Perth, winning awards there, um, fortunately, for actually pulling together this very interesting donut economy, if you will, of trying to understand how everything relates and interrelates to everything else. And, um, you know, one of the hardest things to do when you climb Mount Everest is to stand at the bottom and look up it. You know, if you're already at camp one or camp two, it's so much easier to make that ascend. And I think we've just got to recognize that we are and we have achieved a lot. We've shared some points. We've shared the fact, Colin, that, you know, Australia doubled its EV, um, you know, consumption is electric vehicle consumption last year, um, purchases. And we've actually now got legislation for fuel excise. Um, you know, we are supporting it you know we're slow we're behind the eight ball there is no question but every organization every big of those big greedy corporates has an esg um you know an environmental social and governance concept that they have to abide by and report on they've got things called living wills which absolutely have written into them what is the impact on your organization elon musk of climate change they've got to account for that and there's legislation to talk to that accounting. So yes, you know, they're an offense. There's no question, Tim, they are an offense and Colin, but they are being pulled into line. We just need to make sure they get pulled into line more quickly. Yep, one of the things that didn't make the cut on my world roundup this week, but will do next week because I didn't have enough information for this week, but uh, BHP and Rio Tinto have got together with Blue Scope Steel and they're going to be making steel. Or they, they've got together as a, an experimental group in order to make steel using electricity, using sustainable electricity rather than coal to make steel. That's never been done before in the world. That's part of the momentum because once they've done that, it might take two years from now, but then we'll be making steel and then all of the other steel makers around the world are going to have to do the same because the momentum's there and it's not going to go back again to burning coal. For all of us who, um, you know, 
<laughs> for all of us who marched in power to the people and sang those songs way back in the 60s who could be listening and have children and grandchildren who maybe also are listening. You know, we do get disappointed that we don't feel that the power that rightly rests in democracy is really um, driving um, how we embrace the world. But the momentum has changed. It's flipped. The switch has flipped. And we've just got to really, really work hard together to make sure that we don't let it slip out of our grasp. As Tim Flannery says, you know, it's game on. It's not game over. I really want to echo that, Louise. Um, it's, it's important to celebrate the momentum but not to allow it to slip out of our grasp because it it's important to say that the fact that we have momentum now does not mean that we will continue to have it automatically we need to keep fighting for it we see all around the world examples of this the the erosion of of women's right to choose in the usa for instance um, not erosion they're wiping it away um, the backsliding on a whole range of civil rights and um, racial justice around the world. There's backsliding on climate action too. Um, it's really crucial that we celebrate. There's a lot of momentum. We need to keep building that. We need to keep working for it. We need to keep holding on to it. Um, this is only just starting. Um, there's there's um, a lot to celebrate. There's a lot still to do. Here, here. Very true, very true. And, you know, it's easy enough to um, hide our heads in the sand and think we can't go forward, we can't move it, you know, it's too late. It's, it isn't too late. You know, I think the point that you made, the age of consequences that we are in, <laughs> the Anthropodean age of consequences, you know, um, we are at the end of the world as we know it. It is no longer... Um, you know, that land of so-called plenty where you can pluck, um, you know, you just throw a seed down in the ground outside and you have your food. You know, you have to, you know, we need to use technology. There's no question about it. We need to use um, our brains. We need to use the scientific advances that we've actually made. We've done an awful lot. Let's be proud of that. We've bug it up an awful lot too we know that you know there's no question um you know i forgot what the numbers are in terms of coral reefs but on our new website by the way subac australia um dot org which you'll be able to um go and have a look at you'll be able to see what we are doing in terms of coral reefs what we are doing in terms of regenerative farming what we are doing in terms of solar panels and um transition to renewable energy and what we are embracing when it comes to you know understanding that nature is everything that is the planet it is the biosphere it is biodiversity mm -hmm. it is you and me walking to work and making sure we pick up three pieces of plastic every day don't forget it guys if you go away from this podcast <laughs> not remembering anything pick up three pieces of rubbish every day wherever you are doing whatever you're doing you'll be doing the planet apart. Louise Denver and Tim Hollow, thank you very much for borrowing your brains in this hour. Um, 
We are on the lookout for a new way to end. We, we used to say for 10 years, we've been saying be the difference as our sort of slogan when we end the show. But we are looking this year for a, a new way of leaving the program in the spirit of what the two of you have been talking about very much today. So like a sentence that brings us together. What, do you have a proposal to what we could be saying? S like saying be the difference, but it's more like be together or work together. You know, I love we are the difference. Um, you know, I love the positivity of 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 um, power to the people. I love the sense that we can do it, and we will do it, and we are doing it. But we will only do it if we work together. Together, we only do it by collaborating, mm -hmm. by connecting, by you know, cooperating with each other. The commons. We are the commons. <laughs> Tim? Absolutely. And drawing in um, drawing in that understanding that we are also nature. There's a beautiful slogan um, that came out of France that's, um, we are not defending nature, we are nature defending herself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that beautifully encompasses that point about doing it together um, and doing it together, understanding that we are also doing it with all of the all of the microbes and all of the trees and all of the animals and all of the fungi and all of the mycelium and everything that creates this beautiful natural world. Can I boil it all down and, and add a, a slogan from the um, business world? Together we can do it. We are doing it. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Let's 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 mm. not lose our momentum. We are doing it. Let's not get Nike out of here. Let's go. You know, we are. We are. <laughs> Together, we are doing it. Well, mm. yeah.